Welcome to the Wellbeing and Career Work Podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with holistic nutritionist. Rachel's credentials include a BSc in Human Kinetics, Qualified Certified Nutritional Practitioner, and Therapeutic Nutrition and Supplementation, with an approach to wellness from an integrated standpoint, including evaluating environmental factors, emotional stress, and mental well-being, lifestyle habits, and the food we eat. Rachel steers away from the one-size-fits-all method and focuses on the uniqueness of each client in order to uncover the origin of her specific gut issues and or chronic pain. She has travelled down this path, feeling lost and unsure what was triggering her symptoms. Rachel is passionate about giving her clients the answers they have been longing for and leading them to the light at the end of the tunnel. And on today's podcast, we'll be chatting about gut health. Uh, very welcome to the podcast, Rachel Calber. How are you doing today, Rachel? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Let's get this started. Where are you right now on planet Earth? I am in Toronto, Canada. Toronto, okay. So we're heading towards obviously the winter season. So is it yes. chilly? What's the weather like? It's been unusually warm, um, except the past couple of days, it's gotten quite cool and, and a little bit nippy. So we're definitely taking a deep dive now. <laughs> right. So what, what what's unusually warm? I mean, are we talking a couple of degrees or? No. No. It was, it was, I don't know if you're Celsius or Fahrenheit, but it was 21 degrees Celsius on the weekend, which is insane. Right. Yeah. I, that is insane, isn't it, for November? That's that's insane. Yes. Yeah. That's and this morning it was about five degrees, which is way, and feeling like one. So way more appropriate for the right. season. It's, <laughs> um, it's weird, isn't it? Because even in Ireland, we're saying, I mean, we, we've been walking around here in Dublin and I haven't had to wear a jacket. I've been wearing like kind of like a tracksuit kind of jumper and tracksuit bottoms and and sneakers or trainers. And uh, yeah, it's been unusually, as you said correctly, unusually warm. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but I mean, is it, is it, it, does it get like to the, and the reason I ask this as well, because obviously with the, with the, it's the, the guests that I chat to around the world, it's like, it's like a tourism guide as well. They'd probably like to know where, where can we go? What's nice? So what's the favorite part of where you live? Oh gosh, there's so much. There's so many little unique pockets in in the city and outside of the city. I love Collingwood, which is just outside of the city and really great if you're a fan of skiing and snowboarding. And in the winter, great for mountain biking. Um, downtown core is just fun to explore, walk around, do a little bit of everything. Like it's really, I can't even just pick one thing. What's the skiing like? Are you a skier? I used to be a skier. I used to be a snowboarder and that stopped a long time ago and I haven't been ever since. I do kind of miss it, but some health things got in the way and being out in the cold just wasn't wasn't working for me at that point and i was just like okay we're done right and is that a, sta- is that a standard thing for canadians is it you're born into skates ice skates is that how it works no i actually started in gymnastics and oh, then wow. we did pick up skating like i have a twin sister and an older brother and we all we all skated they both did hockey um and so skating is just I feel like most kids here learn how to skate. <laughs> There's right. so many outdoor rinks um, come the Christmas season that, you know, we have the ability of enjoying. And um, I, I think it's like a, a thing that most people do, but skiing and snowboarding, not so much. I feel there really has to be that interest there if your parents have done it and you kind of witness it growing up. Well, we have you, I'm going to go back there a little bit. We have something in common. I have 
daughters that are twins and I have a son as well. So what was that like growing up? I mean, how does your brother feel with the uh, the twin sisters? Were you joined to the hip, so to speak? <laughs> no, um, he's older. Right. So not by much. We're, my, my parents had three under the age of two. Um, my sister and I fought all the time. All right. <laughs> which is kind of sad. And now we're very, very close. And I think, you know, as we got older and we became, we had, we like developed our own identities and did our own thing in school. And, you know, she, she's married. And, and so it's a very different relationship at this point in our lives. Right. Um, and in terms of my brother, I think like we all just kind of <laughs> like, it's crazy to say we never like all got along well, but right. now we're all so close. Um, and I have a different relationship with each of them, which is I value a lot. Right. And that's good. Uh, before yeah. before we move on to the main topic today, do you know Ryan Reynolds? I always ask this every Canadian. <laughs> no, I, no okay. I know him, but he's uh, he's BC, a different province. But get him, get to know him. He's hilarious. I, he's very, very yeah, funny. He is hilarious. He's hilarious. He, he has definitely not been on my top things to achieve. That's <laughs> well, but let's talk about your top things to achieve now in a, in a few moments. So I gave a little bit of introduction about yourself. So can you let our listeners know a little bit more about you and your background? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I, I'm I'm down in, I guess, I don't know if it's down or up, but I'm, I'm in Toronto. Yep. Um, I grew up here. I haven't really lived anywhere else except outside of the city for school. Um, and I have been going through a fair share of health issues for a very long time. Um, likewise with my father and my mom and my sister, we've all kind of been going through crazy things. Right. And that's really what led me to do what I'm doing now. Just the trouble getting through school because I felt like I had to always extend things because I never felt good or watching my dad struggle with ulcerative colitis and being like, there's got to be another way. Um, all shaped my experience and why I'm in this industry now. So that's, I'm not sure if that's really what you were looking for in terms of background, but. <laughs> you can tell me anything you want in terms of like your, your, your educational background, your job. But what we do is now, in terms of you said health issues. So when did these health issues start before you had your interest in kind of moving into that field itself? I mean, you mentioned your dad had uh, ulcers of uh, colitis. I mean, yeah, what was that yeah. like? So my mom told me ever since I was little, I've always, you know, been on the t- or like had stomach issues for forever. Um, So that started very young. And there are so many reasons as to why that can be, whether I was on medications as a little girl or we were never breastfed. There's there's a lot to that, um, to speak to that. So just always struggled, always, always struggled. And then as I got into university, things just got progressively worse. And if it wasn't one thing, it was another. I felt like every day was a different symptom. And I, I'm sure some of your listeners can resonate with that because I hear it all the time. Right. Um, and then just dismissed from my doctors being like, your blood work is normal. When I was like, this is not normal. What I'm experiencing is not normal. And don't make me feel crazy that I have these things going on and that it's all in my head or it's all IBS or it's all anxiety and it's all stress. And don't get me wrong, that all definitely plays a part of it. Yeah. That's not my why. And so that's really, you know, what led me here because 
I have a lot of clients who say the same thing, you know, I'm not, I'm not being heard. I know there's something going on, but I'm not being heard. And my blood levels are normal, which doesn't always necessarily mean optimal. And, and with my dad going through ulcerative colitis, so he, um, he was the president of a massive company. So just under a lot of stress. Right. And uh, I, he'll never admit it. I will tell you that is likely why, you know, one of the reasons why he ended up with or developing IBD, the inflammatory bowel disease, and one of those being ulcerative colitis. Um, stress does play a big role. I'm sure there's some pathogens like parasites from traveling, and he's a big raw sushi person, like all these things that can play into that. But, you know, seeing him struggle and go through the steroids and go through the weight loss and from naturopath to doctor to this to that, and I... It, it inspired me to figure out, you know, how can we do this from a natural, a natural standpoint that's not so streamlined because everybody is so different and there's no way that one medication or steroid is going to work for every IBD patient. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can I ask everybody to just go back to your dad again? And um, when he finished, say, the high profile, high stress job, did his symptoms calm down at all? I always find this kind of interesting because yeah, you hear a lot of people when they when they stop maybe the, the, the high profile job or the stress or maybe it's a life stress, things begin to calm down. Did, did, did they? So it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, he was able to get it under control prior to retiring because he, he, I believe it's been like 20 something years that he's, he's had it. And then- only retired, I think maybe like five or six, 2015 we're coming. Oh, wow. We're almost 10. So eight years ago. Um, but yes, for him right now, things are pretty good, but I will say he did a really fantastic job at, um, you know, getting himself to a, a place that felt good for him, obviously not good enough, but good for him based on where he started while he was still working. But yeah, it's significantly better now that, He's literally retired and he lives half the time in Florida and half the time in Toronto. And like, what could be better than that? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. The best of both worlds. Yeah. A little snowbird. <laughs> so you mentioned their IBS. So the can you explain to listeners as simplistic as possible, what is IBS? Well, hmm. I consider IBS an umbrella term and a cop out for I don't know what you're going through. Right. Uh, and that's my honest truth. I hear people say I have IBS and I feel sad for them. I feel like their doctors have made them believe that this is a lifetime sentence and you need to struggle for the rest of your life and potentially just manage your symptoms. And I don't believe that to be true. Um, there's a lot of root causes for IBS and a lot of ways that you can actually heal and mark my words and live a life of that you've, you know, envisioned for yourself being free of your frustrating IBS symptoms because they are very frustrating and stressful. Um, so don't ever settle for an IBS diagnosis because it's just in my opinion, an umbrella term and a cop-out for not wanting to dig any deeper. So how then, Rachel, then, you know, diagnosis of, so say, let's first start with the symptoms. So what symptoms would the, say, average person experience if they did have IBS? 
gas, bloating, um, alternating between diarrhea and constipation or just loose stools and constipation, or there is um, IBS-C, which is fully just constipation, excuse me, or IBS, D, which is just like full-blown always diarrhea. Um, Those are like your typical signs of someone who is dealing with IBS. And would they have fatigue? Would they kind of feel like brain foggy as well? Would this be part of it or dependent as well? I mean, everyone is so different. Everyone is so incredibly different. And we know that the gut is responsible for a lot of things. So sure, if your gut is not healthy and not functioning optimally, a lot of people will experience fatigue and brain fog and headaches and um, heaviness and all the things that people just, you know, feel like they're just trying to push through every day. The bloating then, what is the bloating? Obviously your tummy ends up like a bit of a balloon. So yeah. wh- why does that start? Is that gas? Is that is that a reaction from something within the system that's kind of trying to protect you? Because you know yourself when when you if you if you hit your arm, you know it swells to kind of protect that area. So yeah, to speak. Inflama- that's more so inflammation. Right. Um, I would say yeah, bloating, distension. It can be different for different people based on what's going on really on the inside. For some people, they're bloating because there's fermentation of food. Um, So if you have low stomach acid and your food just sits in the gut and rots, some people call it gut rot, um, you're getting these gases that are being produced. Typically, that's what we see. Um, Again, low stomach acid and you can't digest your food. Bloating. For me, I consider bloating just like it can be air. It could be stool because someone's constipated and they're not eliminating. So they've just, they're so backed up with stool or if they're not digesting properly, it's food. Their food is just sitting there. And and why then Rachel would they have low stomach acid? I mean, can can that be resolved by taking a supplement or a tablet or or exercise? It can be. Okay. Uh, I I would not, no, not exercise, but definitely there's a specific supplement that is stomach acid that you can supplement with. Um, You can add some apple cider vinegar to your diet, which is very acidic. Um, There are a lot of ways to increase stomach acid production naturally. Why someone would experience low stomach acid? Well, there's a ton of factors, stress being one of them. We're in a very high stress environment, a go, go, go. I have to be the best and do the best. And And, you know, that doesn't really set you up for success. If we're not in a nice, relaxed state when we're eating, our body isn't going to secrete as much digestive juices as we would need for optimal digestion. Um, Coffee could decrease stomach acid production. Dairy, believe it or not, can decrease stomach acid production. Like the list goes on and on and on. You'd be overwhelmed if I went through all of it. So let's let's well let's let's overwhelm ourselves a little bit. Um, so what about the high stomach acid then? So the opposite to the low. What's what's a way of? Or is that a good thing or a bad thing? Terrible. They're terrible. both terrible. They're right. both. You really need an optimal level of of stomach acid. So stomach acid is your first line of defense. It really is protection for you. It's your own personal military and. If you don't have enough of it, you're leaving yourself susceptible to pathogens and bacteria and and yeast and 
at the end of the day, what can turn into chronic illness. Um, and if you have too much of it, you end up with destruction of the esophagus and all the damage that can come with too high stomach acid. So you really do want this, like it's a delicate balance and you want to make sure you have optimal stomach, stomach acid levels. When they're too high, there are, there are ways that you can mitigate that. Often doctors are prescribing what we call proton pump inhibitors. And I would say if possible, stay away from them because they essentially shut off all acid production. And as I had previously mentioned, like we need stomach acid, we need it. Um, We can end up with osteoporosis without it, iron deficiency, because like it's required for mineralizing, ionizing, ionizing minerals and absorbing them and digesting protein, which is broken down into amino acids. And so it can really just be super destructive. but there are a lot of things that you can do to reduce inflammation and lower stomach acid production if it's too high naturally without shutting off your acid production altogether. Right. So th- these PPIs you mentioned, I mean, we're not going to mention the manufacturers, but generally um, they're the over-the-counter kind of medicines or, as you mentioned, prescribed from a doctor. So yes. is it is there information out there? I had read something there before where – if you have taken these PPIs because you've blocked the acid, when you stop taking them, you will increase the acid worse. Is there any information that's true or false or are you aware of any of that? Um, I will just be honest in saying I, I don't 100% know. Right. Um, I know a lot of people do struggle when they get off of them. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes people who are on them don't notice a difference. And that's because they really just haven't addressed the issue, which is 85% of the time, low stomach acid. So you're just making the issue worse, not digesting your food. Food is then fermenting, producing gas, and it has to go somewhere. So it typically travels back up and you get that heartburn and belching and sometimes vomiting after meals and classic symptoms that a doctor would say, oh, yep, you have acid reflux and here's your medication. Right. What what is the say the long term effects if you had too much acid reflux? Or I know you you've explained some of the effects, but I mean, it, it, can it get worse um, if you don't control the acid in the stomach if you have too much? Yeah, I I think so. Um, and and like I said, if you do actually have too much acid, it can one hundred percent be really damaging to the gut lining and the esophagus and, um, and cause a ton of pain for people, like crazy amounts of pain where they just don't even really know what to do with themselves anymore. Um, and that's why people are so quick to take them because they're like, Oh my God, a quick fix. Oh my God, this is so painful. Like I I need to take something. Um, but I, I, it's definitely, as I had said, like you, there's just such a delicate, balance where you don't want too much and you most definitely don't want too little. They're both equally as dangerous. Right. What about then, Rachel, uh, mentally? So say, for example, you said it before, you know, you go to the doctor and not being critical of any doctors out here. I'm not a doctor myself, but generally you go to the doctor and the, you know, you're just told it's, you know, IBS or take these probiotics or whatever it is and get on with your life. I mean, mentally, how how did you feel and how do some of your clients feel when they just hear this statement? It's like, it's like kind of like a brush off. Mm-hmm. Defeated, frustrated, because you're like, I'm not being heard. And for me, it was like, okay, at what point 
does this change because I've been doing this for so long and nothing's changed. If anything, it's just gotten significantly worse and it's stressful. It is. It's stressful when pe- when you're made to think that like it's all in your head. Yeah. And and, and the and like like employers or family members. I mean, what advice or suggestions do you have for them to kind of get that little bit of support? Because I'll be honest with you, th- there's there's times where um, I've had colleagues. And they've they've said oh, I wasn't well today, and then but it became like a spiral. They yeah. they'd be out more and more often. So it'd be like yeah. one day, and then probably in for two days, and then they'd be out for probably three days, and it would continue and increase and increase. And unfortunately, some employers are not so compassionate because no, they probably don't understand what's going on there. I mean, what and could that's you- exactly it. They don't understand, and I would say for any family member is to have compassion because the worst thing, and I've been through it to hear is it's not that bad. It's all in your head. You're making it up. Um, Every day is something else. Well, I know I'm living it and they're living it. Like we don't need to be reminded of that. We almost want to be held in a sense and, and just heard like being heard is, is means more to someone going through something than being brushed off because mentally it can really, it can really affect you. Yeah. Um, and to feel like you're not being supported or heard by your own family when you're already not being heard by whatever professional you're seeing, it becomes like a very depressing state. So if I could give any advice to anyone who has a family member or a friend who's going through something and it seems like every day is something different is just hold space for them because they don't want to hear it's another day and it's always something they want. And you, and if you don't know what to say, just don't say anything at all. Just allow, allow them to vent and to be, to be heard. Yeah. Well, what, what about then an employer? The, re- the reason I ask is because obviously your stress levels will go up a lot more. If for yeah. example, you're unwell and you yeah. need your income to still continue. But I think allowing them to be flexible, like whether that means, and if available, allowing them to work from home, if that's a space that makes them feel better and they can still get their job done. Um, and in today's world, that's very possible for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I think just, you know, trying to come up with solutions together and doing your best not to get frustrated because it's out of their control until they get the right support. It, it is a stress worth it in terms of, you know, you mentioned there previously with your dad and some of that high profile job, high stress. And there's obviously other individuals that are in those those positions where they want to climb the ladder and it could be a goal. It could be an aspect, it could be a dream. And. Um, I mean, is it worth it at the end, especially when you see some of your clients? I mean, have you had this with your clients as well, where their focus has just been on, I know criticism here again, on money and on career and a job? I mean, have they had that kind of moment where they kind of clicked and went, geez, actually, I feel better now? I think a lot of people are so focused on career and and money, honestly. Um, And that can be sometimes part of the problem because you're just in such this high stress state and you're not really ever taking time for you and to unwind and to bring yourself into this rest and digest state um, and recovery period. 
Um, people are skipping out on sleep because they need to be go, go, go. And again, not beneficial for your health. Um, did I answer that? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay. You did. I was like, you're answering everything I ask you. No, it's just I, I, because because I, I don't interfere with. Well, I like listening to you speak. Like with all the guests, I like them. I like them to just say what they want to say, yeah. rather than rather than constantly interfering. <laughs> um, so, what about then? The oh yeah, so good, good, good. I sound German there. Good health, good health, <laughs> good health. And um, does it change with age? And is it dependent on your gender? Or I mean, is a woman's digestive system different to a man's? Or are we all kind of? It's all very similar. So with age, um, back to stomach acid that naturally decreases with age. So. Wanting to be mindful of how you feel moving forward. If, you know, digestion seems sluggish or you're bloating more than normal or you're gassy more than normal, like really addressing stomach acid there, because that's something that naturally decreases as we get older. Um, and that's inevitable. In terms of gender, obviously, hormonally, we're very different. And that's the, like the obvious, you know, biggest right, so difference. So in, terms of, so in terms of hormonally, so for, for women, would they have, say, more digestive or gut issues, uh, say, for menopause, for example? Would, 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 would it change then, possibly? They can. But I think that um, the state of your gut is also going to be a huge indicator of how, let's say, someone's going to go through menopause, because if you're backed up and you're toxic and your liver is not functioning properly and you can't metabolize your hormones properly, then the body just doesn't know what to do. And, and it's kind of like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm stressed. Right. But for men and women, honestly, we all have the same digestive organs. We're all made of the same things besides our reproductive organs. So I can't imagine that digestion would be any different for me than it would be for my brother and, you know, vice versa. <laughs> and for anyone, he won't tell you anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I can't see, like we all have a stomach, we have our small intestine, our large intestine, like it's the same exact process. Yes. So the only thing again, that's different, for example, you know, men's hormones aren't as delicate and they can handle intermittent fasting much better than a woman can um, right. because our hormones are much more delicate. There's more at play. We're not meant to be intermittent fasting. Um, and I'm not going to dive into that because that's not my area of expertise and I don't want to pretend it is. I just, you know, lightly, I can, I can say that, yep. but from a digestive standpoint, I would believe that we're all very, very, very much the same. Um, I, yeah. I just think that a lot of men, and this is obviously a generalization, um, like to push through and, and are, you know, aren't as open from my experience with how they're, if they're struggling. Right. Um, and I find that women are more like, oh yeah, I'm bloating and this is uncomfortable. And and a lot of men are like, oh, I'm gassy. I'm just going to let it rip. You know, I don't think <laughs> twice about it. Like this is just who I am, but hmm. like, that's not normal, but they won't seek most, most men won't seek help for it. And again, I'm not, I'm not 
judging. I'm not anything. It's just, that's just what I'm noticing in my practice. Right. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that makes perfect sense. Okay, Rachel, we were, we were chatting there about, um, I'm going to say very bluntly, sorry, ladies, but bodily functions and stuff like that. I mean, um, and men and women are quite similar. So uh, are we looking for like, as you mentioned, is it like loud and proud type of thing? Or it, it, it does it make a difference if you hold gas in? Does this make sense? Yes. I feel like it's funny, loud and proud, because oftentimes <laughs> I remember my brother and my dad would be like, who can burp the loudest? But now that I have done the research and I've I've gone through the schooling, I'm like, none of this is actually normal. And it, and it's actually nothing to be proud of. It there are a lot of influencers online who will be like bloating is normal gas is normal. This is just all part of the human experience. And sure, maybe a little bit here and there, yeah. but like on a daily basis, excessive gas is not normal. And it really is showing you that underneath everything aside from the humor and, and all that yeah. fun stuff and entertainment, <laughs> like there's something else going on that needs to be addressed and right. on the road can actually lead to bigger health concerns if we don't tackle it you know when you still feel good enough to laugh about it <laughs> and is is whole is holding it in no matter if it's up or down um is that like how would you say the body's just trying to say look i need to get rid of this but yeah i would i wouldn't hold i know that like a lot of us are embarrassed but oftentimes i'm sure i mean i'm not embarrassed to say i've held i've held like gas in before you feel worse right Gas pain is terrible. It, it's just, it, you can end up with some trapped gas. I've actually been to the hospital for that and it's severe, severe pain. So if you ever do have gas, like it, it's not pleasant, but like it is really important to let yeah. it out. And we're human at the end of the day. Yeah, we are yeah. human. And like I said, here and there having a little bit of gas is normal. And it's not fair to be demonized for having gas, especially, you know, I feel like a lot... <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I don't want to be sexist. I don't want this to come off in the wrong way, but like, a lot, of men are like a lot of men are like, oh, women don't fart or women don't poop. And like, it's just such a stupid thing to say at this point in like life. Yes. Um, like I said, we're all human. We all have the same digestive organs and we all eliminate and process and digest the exact same way. So if men do it, women are sure to do it. Right. Um, there you go, ladies. Out you go. Just <laughs> Just let it scream, let it rip. Just do it. <laughs> However, like if that is a problem for you, then yeah, definitely call me. We have things to work on. Right. So it, it, it's it's, and we're going to go next step further and try. I'm going to try. I know I'm kind of like a little little child here, chuckling a little bit. But but if how does the so say for example somebody that might have a smell off their breath right now it could be dependent on food, and then if they expel from the what do we what do we call it here we call it a bottom burp in yeah. in our <laughs> bottom burp so um it, it's i mean is the smell of a breath a concern or is the bottom burp smell a concern that or is it dependent on foods when, when does it become kind of serious we kind of say hang on a second now you need to get this checked out they're all like they're all reasons to be checked out um, again, it could be just as simple as not having enough stomach acids to digest your food, but in terms of scent, a lot of different reasons, um, 
like a lot of different reasons. And I don't even know all the reasons and I'm just being completely honest, but I yeah. do know that if there's fermentation in the gut and things are rotting, it's going to be, it's going to reek. Right. So how do we then expel the rot from the intestines and the bowels? I mean, is there anything or any food um, you may recommend? I mean, we're going to chat about some of your services that you provide, but on the top of your head, you know, would it be eating like would would you eat something like fiber, pineapples? Like I don't know what what would you recommend? It's so hard because everyone is so different. At the yeah. end of the day, the reason you're fermenting is because you're not digesting. So adding more food to the picture isn't really going to be the answer. Um, you can do a lot of killing with herbs, but really what you want is to make sure that you're digesting and eliminating properly, and that's how you're going to mitigate any of this gas and and like horrific reeking gas. Um, if there's parasites and pathogens and candida, like those can all be killed with herbs and supplements. Um, but adding more food to the mix when you're already feeling probably likely distended and gross is definitely not going to be the first thing that I would recommend, but you know, maybe doing an enema is a great way to release what's being stuck and what you're holding. Um, Can you you explain what that is? Just, just to to listeners. I mean, what, what is it? An enema is essentially, I'm not even going to sugarcoat this anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you stick a tube up your bum. Okay. Um, and you allow water to fill the colon and you sit there for a little bit and eventually your body's going to just release everything that's sitting inside of you. So any, any rot and anything that just you, if you're extremely constipated, for example, things that you're not able to pass, this is just allowing your body to, it's like taking a laxative, right. but a, in my opinion, it's more effective. It's very quick. It's not a whole to do. You just go in, you do it after 15 minutes, you're out and about with your day. And is it, is it painful? I mean, you're saying to put no. this tube um, up your bum. It'll be painful. Know. It'll be painful if you let the water come in too fast. So I think the key is making sure that it's a slow and steady process. And if you feel a little bit of cramping, you just back off or you or you clamp the water and you wait for the cramping to subside. Um, But otherwise it's a fairly easy, I know it sounds gross. A lot of my clients are really resistant to it at the beginning. And then they start and they're like, Oh, that was way better than I thought. So that's typically the, the way it goes. Right. And, and, is this generally done like in one of these uh, clinics or does a doctor have to do this or how? No, you can do an enema at home in your bathroom. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there, you can go into Amazon and buy enema kits. They're all over. Right. Um, what you would do in a clinic is typically a colonic, which is a very different colonic. process. So like, yeah, they're flushing water through the system um, right. and a professional is doing it. I, I personally don't want to do that. So I just do it on my own. So you mentioned, what, so if you get this device and you place it up your posterior and the, do you see parasites so coming So much out? more elegant than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think we know each other too well now. This is this. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, do you get like, what, would you see parasites coming out? I mean. If what? you're killing them, if you're killing them, yes, you will. That's typically when you'll see the biggest ones come out. Is through and, an enema. And what are what are these parasites? I mean, where do they originally? I know you you mentioned things like you know food is rotten there or it's stuck in the gut or is that generally where it's from? Is it? No parasites no. you're going to get from undercooked meat or pork or raw fish or tartare or contaminated food and water, a dog or a cat licking your face, um, kind of everywhere. 
Right. Okay. Necessarily from your food sitting in the gut, that's typically just going to be more like fermentation and potentially a yeast issue. Right. Um, in terms of parasites, they're they're coming from the outside in for the most part. And and do you feel free when you do this procedure? I mean, oh yeah, it feels great. Skip around and kind of say, "Wow, I feel amazing now." And how long yeah, then would it last before you need to do another one, maybe? Depends on the person. Like if I have someone doing a cleanse and I want them, it's a, a coffee enema is a great way for detox support and just, you know, gallbladder support, everything support. I have them do it a couple times a week. Right. Um, I would say generally, if you're like a super constipated person and you just can't go to the bathroom, doing an enema is important because you want to make sure that you're releasing, but you don't have to do an enema. You can take magnesium. Like magnesium is also a really fantastic way to get the bowels going. Right. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to have a look at Amazon later on. Not for myself now, Rachel, for somebody else. Not for myself. <laughs> I'm not judging either way. <laughs> yeah, you have me intrigued, you have. Um, <laughs> so so the, one of the services that you provide is uh, uh, the gut rehab. So what, what is that involved? So let's get the sales pitch going. What does it involve? <laughs> <laughs> so gut rehab is my all-encompassing program. So essentially how I have this like three-step process and I support the elimination pathways first and foremost, because you can't move on with any healing protocol if your liver and kidneys are bunged up or if you're chronically constipated. Because if you can imagine if you're dealing with, you know, any type of pathogens or parasites and you go in and you kill them, if you're not eliminating, they're all just going to recirculate in the body and you're going to feel even worse. So my phase one, first and foremost is elimination support, drainage support lymphatic support. Once that's done, we go into whatever your root causes for everyone that's going to be different. I've been doing a lot of parasite cleansing lately, a lot of candida cleansing. Um, And then once you've, you know, eliminated the root of your quote unquote IBS, um, you go into the healing phase and that's my phase three. So, you know, that we're looking at putting in good quality bacteria, We're looking at putting in nutrients that seal the gut lining back up so that your results are are permanent and not temporary. Because most often people are coming to me saying, I did this, it felt good for three months and now I'm back and even worse than when I started before. And oftentimes it's because we're not addressing the drainage funnel and things aren't moving properly. And, And I've had someone come to me saying, I'm chronically constipated. I did a candida cleanse and I've never felt worse in my entire life. Well, yeah, no kidding. You did a kill. And everything you killed is now just recirculating in the body. Wow. It, that's, it, it, it's amazing that, yeah, in this day and age that we're still experiencing these, these issues. But is a lot, as you mentioned before, a lot of it's, you know, obviously stress or diet or um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating stuff. But I mean, what about probiotics then? So is, is probiotics, are they, what's the word looking for? Is it just a good marketing thing or do they actually work? I think if you're getting a good quality probiotic, they're definitely worth it. Um, I often think people are misusing probiotics or taking a lot of the doctors recommend a line. It's like a single strain probiotic. That's often not enough. Right. Um, Multi-strain is really great. Spore-based probiotics, which are soil-based, they actually... um, they survive stomach acid. They get to where they need to go and colonize once they're through and in the appropriate place. Those are fantastic, fantastic um, probiotics. So every probiotic is different. Making sure you're getting one that is of good quality with any supplement, the cheaper it is, the worse it is. It's not like 
looking for a bargain deal. That's not how it works in the supplement world. Unfortunately, you're right. paying what you get. The more you pay, like with the professional lines, the ones you put in the research and they're not backed by the pharmaceutical companies, um, no comment. you're getting a better product. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like I'm really against Western medicine. Not and, you, and not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I don't want to come off that way. I no. think I've just been so misled and I've seen it with my clients and with a lot of people who reach out to me. And I just feel sad. Um, and a lot of people have to realize where the, like, I don't want to really get into this, but like where the money is going, right? And Yes. And it's they, a business. They, it's a huge business. And the yeah. doctors are going to push that. Um they don't know, you know, I asked them and they have all of eight hours of nutrition training in, in all of their medical schools. So, you know, how are they going to know what's best? I know you want them, you want to think that they know, but they don't. Yeah. Um, I have two years of training. So it's just, it's just eight hours to two years. I don't know. There's a, a big difference and it's just a whole other, a whole other world out there that is missing. And Sometimes I think the healthcare system keeps people sick so that they can push more medications. And it it's unfortunate that that's, you know, there's there's just, there's so much more out there. And I, I want people to leave this conversation feeling like there's hope and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel for them in terms of their own healing journeys and that if they're not being heard by their practitioner now to find someone who does believe them when they say they're experiencing X, Y, Z, and who does honor that it's not all in their head. And I think that that's missing for a lot of people. Oh, that's good advice. I think to do, do your research, whoever you are, because one thing actually you pointed out, uh, I haven't said it yet, but you've said it a few times, which you're right. Everybody is different and not one thing applies. You know what I mean? To everybody. So that's right. that, that's a credit to you. So um, uh, well done. But we're talking about things that make you sick. I'm actually being nosy on your website here, which is uh, <laughs> liveyourwellness.com. Um, <laughs> it's a uh, popular weed killer in your food. What What's that all say. about? Yeah. Um, so if the EU honestly does it right. The United States and Canada, not so much. It's very heavily sprayed in our crops and it increases drying time. Um, it's obviously a very potent pesticide, herbicide. Um, and it's just, it, it essentially, a lot of people are very sensitive to it. You're adding to your chemical and toxic load. It's virtually sprayed on everything and it wipes out the entire gut microbiome as well. So what, what is it? It's, it's actually the main ingredient in your weed killer roundup. Right. Oh, well, okay. It's sprayed on your food and you're consuming that left, right and center without even knowing it. So even though we cook, so say for example, we cook our food or boil it or whatever, that's still present, is it? Yeah. You'll never get it off a hundred percent. Right. And then oh. even though it might be little in one meal, it's like the, it's the add up effect. Right. Cause okay. it's not just that meal. It's in every meal. If, especially if you're not buying organic, if you're buying organic, it's way better. However, there's still runoff in right. crops. And so you're not fully safe, but it is definitely your best option. If you can afford it a hundred percent, I would go organic because you're going to try to mitigate exposure as best as you can. Do you notice the difference between the organic and the, and the, the general products that we buy on the shelf. I mean, does it taste better? Does it just, is it just because it's a bit healthier? 
well, it's not sprayed with all these chemicals. Right. But does it taste, um, I mean, do you, do you actually taste, I mean, I've tried a couple of organic um, like apples and, and, and carrots and stuff before, but I mean, have you, have you noticed it yourself that it actually does taste a bit better, irrelevant of the health properties? The only food I've noticed a, a huge difference between organic and conventional is papayas. Papayas, right. Okay. Yeah. And it's because, yeah. is it just probably a bit juicier or? Right. No, the right. taste is just insanely different. Right. Okay. No, that's interesting. It is. It's, it's, uh, yeah, as, as Rachel has mentioned, uh, with regards to the, uh, the weed killer, I never knew that myself, um, mm-hmm. on her Fabi website, uh, liviawellness.com. I'm going to, I'm going to say that properly. You say it, Rachel, because I, I think I'm saying Olivia, but it's Livia Wellness. Livia. Yeah. It's like Olivia, but Livia. Liviawellness.com. Um, great information on the website. Uh, Rachel's services, her pic. She's a blog uh, about her background, about herself. Um, and all the healing tools um, I have up there too under Rachel's picks is everything I have like codes for or links for that I believe are huge, you know, hugely helpful in propelling our healing forward. Yeah, no, brilliant. So can I ask, what about, well, not, not can I ask, I'm going to ask, but can, do you do your services that's a very irish statement do you do i mean have are you corporate are you one-to-one mainly i mean is uh, i know it probably sounds a bit silly but can you do it via uh, social like uh, zoom can you do a, a i'm actually fully virtual i'm fully virtual oh, wow okay um, so everything is done via zoom so i see clients from literally all over um and i am also fully for the most part, one-on-one with the odd time I launch a mini group program. Right. Cool. But you can do, you can do corporate, the whole caboodle. I could, I just haven't. Right. Corporate companies get out there now. You need to look after the wellness <laughs> of your staff. Get in touch with Rachel ASAP. So where are you, Thank you. on the world, on the world of social media? Are you on the uh, Facebooks and the LinkedIn's and all that type of stuff? So for people to get in yes. touch, what, what is the best place to get in touch with you? Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram um, for sure. And my email, like my email list, they're they're heavily nourished as well. (laughs) Uh, I'm not so active on Facebook. I have a LinkedIn profile. I don't use it a heck of a lot, but again, I still have it. So it's honestly whatever is most convenient for someone else. Um, I have it all. Cool. So um, all that's left me to say, thanks so much to uh, Rachel Calmer for chatting with me today on the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. When the podcast has been approved, uh, I'll put all the links in for Rachel's social media, uh, her website, liviawellness.com, and uh, you can get in touch and reach out, especially you corporate clients. Get in touch with her, especially <laughs> now. So thanks so much, Rachel, for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for having me.